0: the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him once again this morning and ask him for his help. Our gracious Father, we know that we are weak, that we as human beings, that we are like grass, uh, that we are, 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 um, we are not eternal as, as you are, uh, that uh, we will pass away, but that your word will stand forever. Uh, That your word uh, exists forever. And Father, we ask this morning as we look into your word, we ask that its eternal truths would be clear to us. We ask that you would show us Jesus and show us the life of abundance that he gives us here and the life of abundance to come. Father, show us this morning the Lord Jesus uh, and that he can truly and ultimately and permanently satisfy our hungry hearts, our hungry souls. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is such a joy to be back with you. I'm just now getting a a clear look at this big mess up here. This is, uh, that's awesome. Uh, It is, it's a joy to be back with you on on Palm Sunday. I was actually here last Palm Sunday, and I remember this was, uh, you know, this Palm Sunday tradition with the children. Uh, But uh, as as, uh, was said, I'm the RUF campus minister at Tennessee Tech. Just let me take just a moment here just to say thank you so much for your support for us, your care for us. Um, your support for this ministry that we're a part of. You know, I certainly don't mean to disparage any other churches that support us, but I will say that that Zion uh, really stands apart as a church that is uniquely generous and caring for folks like me, for your missionaries and the people like me. Your missions committee is doing a wonderful job of of contacting us and caring for us. We just really, really appreciate that. And um, so thank you so much for that as well. This year, my family has been able to join me, my wife, ...and three children, so I hope that you'll get a chance to uh, greet them, meet them, if you haven't already. Um, so, you know, it's very fitting for us to be looking at Philippians 4 this morning... ...because as we get to this passage, Paul reveals, or we sort of see here... That, ...that this letter that Paul has written to the Philippian church is really a thank you letter. It's a thank you to a church that's supporting him. And so just as I thanked you for supporting me... ...I didn't do that for a sermon illustration, I really meant that... Uh, ...but just as I'm telling you thank you for your support... Paul is also writing a letter to this church in Philippi, thanking them for their support, this gift that they had sent to him. Now, Paul had a very close relationship with this church. Paul had started this church probably about 10 years before um, writing this letter. He had gone to do ministry on his, on his um, missionary journeys. He'd gone to do ministry in Philippi. And some of the people in this church had probably been led to the Lord directly by Paul. They had become Christians through his ministry. And this was a church that really cared for him and loved him and sought to support him. <clears throat> and whenever they had opportunity to, they would send him gifts. They would pray for him. They would, they would do these kinds of things. And so we see um, in this passage, he mentions this gift the, in verse 18, right? I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They had sent some sort of gifts. We don't know exactly what those were, but some gifts they had sent through Epaphroditus. And he is sending them a thank you letter uh, to thank them for their support and their care for him, but this is a thank you letter that probably sounds different from any sort of thank you letter that you and I have ever received, right? Because um, look at what Paul says in verse in verses ten and eleven. He says, "I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content." Look down at verse sixteen. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And so really, um, Paul is essentially saying here, hey, thank you so much for the gift you sent me, but I really didn't need it. <laughs> uh, that's probably not a thank you note you're going to get from, uh, from anyone, right? No one's going to send you a thank you note that says, thank you so much, that was so kind, but I didn't really need it. Uh, now, Paul is not being rude here. He, he's really taking an opportunity to teach the Philippians something about contentment. Right? This is a teaching moment about contentment. And what he's saying is this. I appreciate the gift you sent me, right? It warms my heart. But I would, I would be fine. I would still be satisfied whether I'd received your gift or not. I would still be fine. I would still be okay. I would still be, con- you know, because I've learned to be content. That's what Paul is telling them. And contentment is, is a topic that I think is almost always relevant and, and good for us to consider, to think about. Because so few of us, I think, are really, truly content, if we're honest. If you're like me, anyways, if you're like me, contentment is a struggle. Contentment is a battle. So, f- few of us, so few of us really, truly practice it. And so contentment is something we want to strive for, and yet it's something that's difficult to attain, something that's difficult for us to have. And, you know, we live in a time and a place in which we have, we have so much stuff. We have so many conveniences in life. Uh, than ever before, right? And, and many of us still find it a struggle to be satisfied, to be truly content, to be satisfied. We, com- we complain about circumstances in our lives. We, we covet the things that our neighbors have that we wish were ours. Uh, we look, or we look at something on the horizon, something out there, and we say, that's the thing. When I, when I get that thing, then I'll be happy, right? When I get to that next chapter of life, whatever that may be, when I get to that next job, that next situation, then I'll be happy once I get that thing. Whatever that is, I don't know the horizon. Um, our hearts are often restless and hungry for more, hungry for more stuff, hungry for better stuff, hungry for new circumstances. Uh, contentment is really a struggle, and so because of that, it's, it's, it's something always timely for us to consider. So what is it that Paul is telling the Philippians and telling us about contentment in this passage this morning? Well, we're going to look at just two points this morning. First, we're going to see the struggle with contentment. And second, we're going to see the secret of contentment. So first, the struggle, the struggle with contentment. The first thing we want to ask this morning is, what is contentment? What, what is that? Well, the Greek word that Paul is using here. Literally means self strong. That's what the Greek word for contentment here means. Self strong. And as we're going to see in a bit, that, that doesn't exactly capture the meaning that Paul is going for here. Uh, that's just sort of the literal uh, translation of the word. Um, but it kind of gets us started, right? Being content means that you don't need anything. Being content is that you have enough. You have enough to meet your needs, your needs are met. Um, and you're, you know, we could just say being content means being satisfied. Being satisfied that your needs are met. You're not longing for anything else. You're not looking for anything else. Um, but if we want to go a step further, and, and you know, it's hard to, I think, do a, have a better definition of contentment than what the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs gives us in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Here's, here's how he defines contentment. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, Inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, Christian contentment is being satisfied with what God has given you at any moment in your life. At any given moment in your life, being satisfied with what God, your Father, your Heavenly Father, has given to you. Um, When times are bad, when times are difficult, we submit and delight in what God has given to us. And look, that is way easier to say than to actually do. And and many of you know that from experience. You know it's easy to say, I'm going to delight and submit to the things that God brings into my life. But it's very hard often to do that. But there's also a surprising flip side to this as well. That when things are going really well for you, when, when life is going really well... Life is good. We still need to submit and delight in what God has given to us instead of searching for more, instead of longing for more and longing for better, longing for new. Uh, so now, that, that's sort of, a, I think, a very good starting point, a good working definition of contentment. We can think about why, why is contentment so, such a struggle? Why is it so hard to have that? Well, a couple of reasons I think Paul identifies for us here. First, contentment is a struggle... Because it's an issue of the heart and not an issue of circumstances. It's an issue of the heart and not an issue of circumstances. Um, it has, to, you know, we often think that, that the circumstances are what is, uh, you know, causing the discontent. Or what is sort of stirring up the discontent within us. But that's not what Paul tells us. Look at verse 11. He says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content... I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is telling us here is that contentment is not just a problem during the low times of life. Contentment is not just a problem during the hard seasons. But that's kind of how I think I often think about it. You know, I often think about... We, we often think about those moments in life where you miss out on something or you lose something. Maybe you apply for a job that you really wanted. You didn't get it. And so you say, well, I'm just going to have to be content with the job that I have for a little while. Or maybe, you know, in sort of the world that I run in, you apply to a college. I want to go to this college. You don't get accepted or you don't get enough scholarship money. Well, I'm going to have to go to my—I'm going to have to be content with my backup school. And so we often think about contentment as— Me just sort of being okay when I don't get what I want. Me being okay in those low times, in the the times where where I feel that my wants have gone unmet. But Paul is saying contentment is something we struggle with during both times of hunger and times of plenty. Times of abundance and times of need. Because it does not, contentment does not depend on your circumstances and on my circumstances. Being content is an issue of the heart. Being content is an issue for the beggar on the street and for the millionaire on the top floor apartment of the skyscraper, right? Contentment is an issue for both, in the high times and in the low times. Um, and you know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and maybe life is going very well for you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that that's the case. I hope that is the case for all of you, that things are going well, that your family's well, that, that life is going well. Um... And you may be sitting here saying, you know, things are really good for me right now. You know, I think I am pretty content. But, but are you really, though? Are you really content? Um, you know, when I was in college, uh, there was a musician I listened to a lot. His name is John Mayer. you probably heard, maybe you've heard of him, heard of this guy. Um, and he released this album, you know, a long, long time ago when I was a college student. And uh, it was an album called Heavier Things. And his first album came out, and it was like exactly what you, if you were a musician, this is what you want your first album to do. It sold like just like millions of copies. You know, he won Grammys, he won awards, he's made a ton of money, he just, you know, had a lot of fame and, and all the stuff that kind of comes with that. But what's fascinating to me is on his second album, he had this song called Something's Missing. And he, in this song, he kind of describes his success. He says, he talks about, you know, I went to the shopping mall, and I, I looked for joy, and I bought it all, right? I bought everything. I, I had, you know, I could do, buy whatever I wanted to. He's got a ton of money, he's got awards, string of famous girlfriends, record contract. And on and on and on. But the chorus of the song says this. But something's missing, and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing, and I I don't know what it is. He had all of his dreams fulfilled, everything he wanted, and yet his heart was still hungering for something else. He wasn't content. He wasn't satisfied. He wanted something more. You know, I also read an interview a few years ago with Tom Brady. This was when he was still in his 20s. This was after... This is after like his third Super Bowl win. Okay, a few years ago, he was maybe twenty-eight years old. You know, at this point in his life, he's a Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl MVP. He's, uh, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks around. You know, not even thirty years old. And in this very honest moment in this interview, he says, "You know, I've got everything. Right? I've done it all. I've done all the things I wanted to do. All my life dreams, all my life goals have been achieved." He said, "I've got it all." And I'm asking myself, is this it? Is this, is this all there is? Is this all that there is? And so these are two guys who, who have it all, right? They have, they have the money. The, they have the, 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 the achieved their greatest dreams. They've been, you know, extremely successful in their fields. Money, fame, all the things that come with that. All the things that, that we think, maybe if I had that, then I would be happy. And they have all that stuff. And they say, I, I'm, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. Having everything is not going to satisfy you or me. Achieving all of our dreams, achieving all of our goals is not going to satisfy us or make us happy. Because we're, we're sinners. We're sinful people with wayward hearts. And there are no circumstances that can permanently satisfy your hearts or my heart. They're, they may tide us over for a moment temporarily, but our hearts will be hungry again, looking for satisfaction in something else. Because contentment is a struggle of the heart. So you think those new circumstances are going to finally make you content, but you take your wayward, sinful heart with you into the new circumstances, and you're still not content. And I'm still not content. And so contentment is an issue of the heart, not an issue of circumstances. The second struggle that Paul tells us here is that contentment has to be learned. Contentment has... To be learned. Look at what he says in verse, um, in verse at the end of verse eleven. He says, "For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." At the end of verse twelve, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Contentment is hard because it's something that does not come naturally to you or to me. It's not something that comes easy. We have to learn it. So, how do we learn contentment? Well, we learn contentment by walking with God through the good times, and through the bad times. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And we learn contentment by walking with God through both of those and seeing the differences there. Walking with God through the hard times and through the good times. We learn contentment in times of abundance by recognizing that we can still, that our hearts are still longing for more. Even when we have everything we've ever wanted, our hearts are still hungry and unsatisfied. We're still looking to the horizon saying, maybe something better will come along. Maybe there's a bit more that I need. Times of abundance show you and show me that the stuff that we dream about, that the the goals and the dreams we have, that these aren't a guarantee for us to be satisfied. We learn contentment in times of hardship as well. We learn contentment in hardship by seeing that even when we've lost everything, even when we've lost it all, even when we're in the lowest times of our lives, to see how the Lord still meets our needs, that we still have enough. Um, before I did RUF, <clears throat> I was on staff at a PCA church in Mississippi, and there was a lady in our church um, that we got to know very well, and um, she, in, in 1991, this woman in our church had lost a nine-year-old daughter to a drunk driver. had been a car accident, and her daughter, her nine-year-old daughter, passed away. And, th- I mean, as you can imagine, that was a, a particularly just a devastating event in her life. Something that um, just resonated, you know, through the decades until, until we met her. And so, just a few weeks ago was the anniversary of her daughter's death. And here's what she wrote on, on Facebook. She wrote this. She said, My mind has gone back to the 29th of March, 1991. In the wee hours of the morning, about 1 or 2 in the morning, they had finished... The organ donations of Lorien, that's her daughter. she said, "I tried to sleep on the little couch at the bedside in the hospital room as my husband, who was seriously injured as he was sleeping in the bed." We had windows that overlooked the east. Our window overlooked a Baptist church, and the steeple with its cross finally came into view as the sun was rising and the sky was beginning to lighten. It was a glorious, magnificent sunrise after all the thunderstorms and tornado warnings of the night before. The sun rose. It was Good Friday morning. My heart, of course, was shattered, but God gives us what we need at the time that we need it. And that, that is a hard thing to go through. Um, this is a parent's worst nightmare. But that is what contentment sounds like, right? That in this moment of just utter devastation in her life, she could see that God had still come to her, that God had met her needs. That she was satisfied with him, even when her whole world sort of falling down around her. The only way we learn contentment is by walking with God through times like that. Through times in which we have everything, and times in which it feels like we have nothing. But walking with God through moments like that, and seeing him provide for us, seeing his care for us, that is how we learn contentment. It's, it's, it's on-the-job training, right? It's, it's something we learn through experience and through God's grace uh, in those experiences, um, through the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and our lives. All of these—so um, my question for us this morning is, are we really content? Is there something deep down, if you're honest, that you're wishing that you had? Is there something that you're saying, if I just, if I just had that— then I would, then I would be happy. Finally, then I would really be happy. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a better house, a bigger house. Maybe it's a different job. Maybe it's children who are obedient and sit still. Right. I know that's my, that's my prayer a lot of times. Maybe it's, maybe it's a different, um, a different body type. You know, if I just looked like this, then I would be happy. Maybe it's a better social life, a better social status. Or maybe it's something else entirely. But all these things seem to promise, they seem to promise us that joy and happiness can finally be ours. If we just had this thing, then we could finally have that joy we want. But it never lasts, right? You get the one thing you always wanted, and it turns out it's not perfect. turns out it doesn't satisfy you permanently. It doesn't fulfill you. And soon enough, you're hungry again, looking for something else that promises to satisfy So the reason contentment is a struggle is because it's an issue of our hearts, not our circumstances, and it's something that doesn't come naturally to us. Contentment is something that has to be learned, something we have to learn from God. Alright, so that's the struggle with contentment. Let's talk about the secret of contentment. Paul says here, I've learned the secret of being content. Before we look at what the secret is, I want to prepare you for it, okay? Uh, With a story. I watch a lot of kids' movies. I have kids, and I watch a lot of children's movies. And so some of these movies are just insufferable. And I, I mean, if I see Trolls again one more time, I'm going to just lose it, okay? Uh, but some of the movies that, you know, I really enjoy with my kids. So I really enjoy, like Kung Fu Panda is a, is a movie that my kids and I enjoy together. And Kung Fu Panda is interesting. It's a, you know, if you've seen it, okay, just en- let me talk about an animated movie here for just a couple minutes, alright? I will get back to the sermon in just a second. Uh, but Kung Fu Panda is this animated movie by this panda named Poe who wants to be a Kung Fu fighter master guy, but he's just, you know, he's chubby, he's just very un- he's an unlikely candidate to, to, you know, be a kung fu warrior. Um, but, but <clears throat> you know, this master uguay you know, this turtle guy says, you know, Po, this guy is going to be the dragon warrior, right, the great warrior we've been waiting for. And there's this dragon scroll that only the dragon warrior can open the dragon scroll and inside the scroll is said to be the secret to limitless power. The secret to limitless power is in the dragon scroll. So at the end of the movie, Poe, you know, through all these ordeals, he finally becomes the dragon warrior. He opens the dragon scroll, and inside there's nothing. It's blank. It's like a reflective surface. And he looks at it, and he's confused. And then eventually he realizes, oh, the key, the secret of limitless power is believing in yourself. Okay, that's when I roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, this is a dumb kid's movie after all. But, uh, but you know, the whole movie, you're kind of wanting, like, what is the secret? What is the secret going to be? And it's kind of this, you know, it's kind of this dumb answer, okay? It's kind of this, like, obvious, like, okay, okay, whatever. Yeah, I see. So I want to prepare you for, th- for this. I tell you that story to prepare you because when Paul tells us what the secret of contentment is, it's going to sound like the most classic Sunday school answer you can imagine, and it's going to be very tempting to sort of tune out for just a minute. Like, okay, I've heard this before. I know this stuff. Uh, so don't do that, all right? That's why I'm telling you that story. So Paul tells us he's learned the secret of contentment, and the secret of contentment is Jesus. Okay, so you knew that was coming. You knew that's where we were going to go. The, the classic Sunday school answer. Uh, but, but but seriously, stay with me, because Paul tells us this in a way that I think is, is very interesting. He, he's telling us this in... in Philippians 4:13 which is a very famous verse, a very often quoted verse and a very misunderstood verse. Okay? So let's look at verses 12 and 13 again. He says, "Look, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need." And he says, "I can do all things through him who strengthens me." I think most of the time that I've heard this verse quoted it's usually by some athlete right after the big game, right? The quarterback throws the Hail Mary touchdown pass. They win the game. And, you know, the, the post-game post interview, how did you do it? Hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and it's sort of typically understood in a way that, like, Jesus gave me strength or focus or determination or whatever it was I needed to sort of perform this feat, right? To perform this, this you know, amazing thing I did. This, overcome this challenge. Like, almost as if Jesus was like my good luck charm and Jesus, you know, got me through it. And I'm not certainly not trying to disparage these athletes who are trying to give glory to God in, in those athletic moments. I'm not trying to run them down or anything. Um, but that's not what Paul is meaning here in this verse. Paul is telling us that he has learned to be content in good times and in bad times because Jesus gives him the strength to do so. He says, when he's saying, I can do all things, he's meaning, I can... I can have everything, I can be in abundance, and I can be in need. I can be full, and I can be hungry. I can do all of the—I can do any—those things and everything in between, because Jesus gives me strength to be content in all those circumstances. Even when his world is falling apart, even when he's in jail for his faith, writing a letter, this letter, writing this very letter, even as he's in jail for his faith, he's saying, I can be—I can do this because Jesus gives me strength. I can do this and be content— and be satisfied, because Jesus gives me the strength to do that. So really, Philippians 4.13 is not so much, you know, applicable to the guy who just scored the winning touchdown. Philippians 4.13 is for the, the kicker who missed the, the field goal in overtime and lost the game, and his teammates left the field without saying anything to him. Right? He, he's let everybody down. They've lost the big game. But he can still be satisfied in Jesus because of Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 is for that Super Bowl champion who's sitting in a hotel room six months later saying, I won the big game, but I'm still not satisfied. I'm still still not happy. Philippians 4.13 is for that that individual. Um, Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in all types of situations because Jesus gives me strength. So how does Christ give us strength? How does Jesus give us strength? What does that mean? Well, there's probably a number of different things we could talk about from the Bible about how God strengthened us, right? You know, a big one would be giving us the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit dwells within us and empowers us and gives us strength, encourages us. That would be a big one. But one I want to focus on this morning is this, that Jesus strengthens us through His promises in the Bible. Jesus strengthens us through the promises He gives us in His Word. You know, in Joshua chapter 1, when the Israelites are just about to go into the promised land and to take the land, to conquer the land that God has given to them, there's a section full of, of God speaking to Joshua. And he's giving them all these commands. He's saying, hey, you know, he keeps saying over and over, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. And in the midst of all these commands to be courageous, to be strong, he keeps promising him things. It's mixed in with all these promises that God is giving to Joshua. So at the end of verse nine, for instance, here's what verse nine. Here's how verse nine in Joshua one ends: Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So there's a connection here between strength, between strength and courage, between that and and God's promises. So what are the promises that we can identify that that, are, that would be connected to our contentment? What are the promises of God that would strengthen us to be content in any situation? Well, we have one in our passage this morning, verse 19. Look down at verse 19 with me. Paul wrote, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So one promise that can give us the strength to be content is that God is going to meet your needs that God is going to meet your needs and my needs, that he's going to give you everything that you need, and he's going to give it to you according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which are, which are endless, right, which are limitless. We also hear this in, in Psalm thirty-four, eleven: those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I'm not going to lack anything that I need, my needs are going to be met, and this morning I believe also in Psalm 84 in, in the scripture read early in the service we, that those who trust in God are going to lack no no thing, no good thing. God is going to meet our needs. Even when times are hard, we can take comfort knowing that God is going to meet us there. He's going to meet our needs. He's going to provide for us. He promises to do that. And when everything's going well for you, when everything when life is good, that hunger comes up, that hunger for something else comes up. We can tell ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves, remind ourselves that I have everything I need, right? God is meeting my needs. Um, There are so many times in life, though, where it's very hard, it's very easy to say, you know, you don't understand that there's, I need this. I really do need this or that. But if you needed that, then God would give it to you. God knows what you and I need, and he knows it better than we do, right? He doesn't promise to meet all of our wants Right? He doesn't promise to give you every, everything that you want and desire. He promises to meet your needs. But there's another way that Jesus strengthens us, that his promises can be strengthening to us in, for contentment. And we see this in another passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And you can, you can flip over there if you want to, or I'm going to read it to you. Hebrews 13:5. This verse, you know, I discovered this verse as I was, uh, or kind of rediscovered this verse, I suppose, as I was preparing for this. This verse kind of blows my mind. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice what this verse says, right? It says, don't be a lover of money, but be content with what you have. Like, that makes sense. Don't be a lover of money, be content with what you have, okay? I understand how those things are connected. Be, Be content with what you got. Be satisfied with what you got. But, but what is really amazing to me in this verse is how the, what the promise that is used to sort of undergird that command. The promise that is used to sort of back that up. Um, look at what he said. Look at, look at, or listen again to what it says. He uses the most common promise in the Bible. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be a lover of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is saying to you and to me, you can be content with what you have because of this promise. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. You can be content with what you have because I'm going to keep that promise. Or the the way he said to Joshua, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. You can be content because he's going to be with us. We can learn to be content with our circumstances because God promises to meet our needs and to never leave us or forsake us. God, so God gives us the strength to be content, but he gives us something even better. He gives us himself. God gives us himself. He gives us his presence. You can be content because I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. How do we know that God is going to keep this promise? How do, how do we know in the, when, the, when the chips are down, when those low times come, how do we know that God is going to keep that promise and be with us even when it feels that he's, like he's not with us? Even when it feels that we have been abandoned, like we have been abandoned? How do we know that this promise is going to be kept, that this promise is true? Here's how we know. Because Jesus has earned that privilege for us. Jesus has bought that promise for you and for me. Today is Palm Sunday, um, as we've we've noted several times. And we remember that this is the day that that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, right? The people were praising him, singing Hosanna. They're they're waving palm branches. They're putting their cloaks and their palm branches on the ground um, before him. Because that's what Jesus deserved, right? That's what he deserves. He is the king of kings. That is what you do for a king. But just a few days later, they were stripping him and mocking him, and spitting on him, and cursing him, and killing him. That's not what the king of kings deserves. That's what sinners like you and I deserve. That's what we deserve. But Jesus came when we were God's enemies, and he came so that we could become God's sons and daughters. He came to make you from an enemy to an adopted, beloved child of God. And when Jesus was on the cross, right, even, even God himself turns his back on Jesus, right? God himself turns away from Jesus' only son. Why would God do that? Because that's what sinners like us deserve. We deserve to be abandoned, to be forsaken. And we're terrified of being abandoned and forsaken. And that's why, that's why when things go badly in life, we, we just automatically think... That's it. God's forgotten me. God's, he's, he's left me. He's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. He's forsaken me. Where are you, God? Why did you let this happen to me? But Jesus came, and he was abandoned so that you and I could be accepted. Jesus came, and he was forsaken so that you and I could be adopted, and that we could be assured that this adoption is real. We could be assured that this being accepted by God is a real promise, is a guarantee Because Jesus has paid for that privilege for you and for me. So when God says, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, this is the most common promise in the Bible. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. When God says that, we can take it to the bank. We know that it is a guaranteed promise because Jesus has paid for that with his blood for his people. Jesus has bought that for us. He has guaranteed it for us. It is a done deal that, That is something worth rejoicing over. Philippians is a little book all about joy. It's all about finding a lasting and eternal and secure joy in Jesus. A joy that cannot be removed and taken away. Philippians is a book that calls us to be content in Jesus no matter what circumstances you're in. Even if you find yourself in a prison cell for your faith, you can still have that joy. You can still have that contentment. Because it is not rooted in your circumstances. It is rooted in Jesus and His work and His promises to you. So even if you've lost everything, He promises that He will give you Himself, right? He promises to be with you, to never leave you, to never forsake you. And when you have everything that you ever wanted, when you look at your life and you say, I've got it all, this is all the stuff I ever wanted. I've got it, I've attained it, I've reached it, I've reached the goal. You can know that even, as Augustine said, our hearts are still going to be restless. Even if you have it all, our hearts are still going to be restless until they find their true rest in God. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us. That is what Jesus is inviting us to this morning. A joy that cannot be taken away by your circumstances. A contentment, a satisfaction in Him that will be eternally met. And and a fulfillment in Him that will never, that can never be taken away. That is what we're being invited to this morning by the Lord Jesus. May each of us find our lasting joy in Him, that we would be satisfied, that we would be content in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we we do confess that we have hearts that are hungry, and often they hunger for things other than You. And our hearts are, are... constantly pulling us in different directions and telling us if we only had that one thing, then we'd be happy. But Lord, help us to see this morning the Lord Jesus. Help us to see the richness of his glory, the riches that we have in him, the the rest that he invites us to, the joy that he invites us to and provides and offers for us. I pray that we would know that joy and that contentment today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.